other day, I got an email from Sam from the band Black Valley Moon letting me know that they have a new EP out called Spectral Melodies Volume 1. And what you're hearing right now is one of the songs from that EP. The song is called Spook Hill Seance. They, of course, gave us permission to play this song here on the show. You'll hear it in its entirety at the end of episode 532 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It's Monster Kid Radio, and I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the show. I hope you're enjoying the music, and I hope you enjoy what we have lined up this week here on the show. Of course, we've got Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review, talking about yet another episode of Ultraman. And it's another great episode. It's the return of, well, I don't want to ruin it for you. I'm going to let Mark tell you who is returning or what is returning in the episode that he's covering this week. And I mentioned the Beta Capsule review first because Ultraman, Tokusatsu, Kaiju, a topic that I love, as does this week's guest. Indie filmmaker Sebastian Godin is here this week to talk with us about his upcoming film, The Damnation of Dracula. And we're just going to catch up a little bit too, see what he's up to, see what he's doing, why he's doing what he's doing, and maybe even talk a little bit about some other future projects, including a special double feature release that he's putting together right now. Oh, it sounds cool. And Seb's just a great guy. Seb was a lot of fun to chat with. It was so much fun that I didn't check all of my settings before I started recording with him. So when he comes on the show, we will have just started playing around with the Classic Five. I'll explain more once we get to that part of the episode. Before all that, though, I want to go over an email that I received from one of the listeners. This comes from Ole and I apologize if I mispronounced your first name. Monsters in the Machine, read that email for me, would you? Hello. I've been a listener of your show since the beginning of the pandemic. I am curious to know if there is a clear definition of what is a genre film. Is there a clear definition of what a genre film is? Probably not. Technically, genre is something that is used by the studios, the retailers, the stores, to kind of place their product. For example, when it comes to books, publishers have defined what the genres are, and it's just to kind of help them sell their product a little bit better. And I feel the same thing really applies to film. Yeah, you got horror movies. Yeah, you know what a science fiction movie is. You know what a fantasy film is. But the line between some of these genres is so blurred to begin with, it's really impossible to say exactly what is a genre film. The reason I use it when I'm explaining what Monster Kid Radio is all about, when we talk about celebrating the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, I feel like that's just kind of a shorthand way to let people know the kinds of movies that we talk about here on the show. And it's easier to say genre cinema than, say, speculative fiction or fantasy, sci-fi, and horror. It's just quicker. It's just snappier. I think that's why I say it here. As far as Monster Kid Radio is concerned, a genre film is something that exists in that nebulous what-if category of story. Science fiction are about things that could be, fantasies about things that, well, can't be, and horror is, well, all over the place. And yeah, those are very, very simplified definitions of what these so-called genres are. And, you know, I suppose you could probably put like thrillers and mystery in here as well. 
I tend not to. I tend to stick to fantasy, sci-fi, and horror for the most part. But that's what we look at here at Monster Kid Radio when I talk about what a genre film is or the kind of movies that we talk about here on the show. I know this is probably a very vague non-answer, but I would say that for us, a genre film is a film of speculative nature, a story that just could not happen. Usually, because then you start getting just like the Hitchcock stuff. And you know what? I'm all ears. If anybody has a really good definition for what a genre film is, call it in or write it in. Let me know and we'll share it with all and everybody else. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. So that contact information is available over on our website at MonsterKidRadio.net, which is where you're going to want to go to when you want to find out more information about the podcast. There's links to our Facebook page, our Twitter, our Facebook group, our Discord, our Reddit, everything that we've got going on here at Monster Kid Radio, you're going to find there as well. We'll revisit this at the end of the episode, of course. But I do want to let you know that if you want to pick up anything that we've talked about here, on Monster Kid Radio, please consider using one of the Amazon affiliate links over at monsterkidradio.net. Even if you don't buy whatever the button is for that takes you to Amazon, use that button to go to Amazon and then do a search for whatever item that you're buying on Amazon. Every time you do this, we get a little bit of money from Amazon. Takes a few pennies out of Jeff Bezos's pocket and puts it into ours and Believe you me, now more than ever, that really, really helps us here at Monster Kid Radio. All right, let's go ahead and get into the beta capsule review with Mark, and then we're going to talk to Seb, and it's going to sound a little something like this. Coming back, turning the screen into a buzzing, crawling, creeping nightmare of terror. <coughs> this is the son of the original fly, daring to explore the forbidden science of transmigration that brought horrible death to his father. You look as if you've just seen a ghost, old man. It was the fly. Fear that will fasten its choking grip on you as his weird experiments spawn the twisted monstrosities of a living hell. The rat man whose hands and feet are changed to paws. The living corpse who rose from his coffin. And the return of the fly, seeking revenge with a thousand eyes. Smashing anything that stands in his way. Suppose he does come here. What if Philippe does not have the mind of a human, but the murderous brain of the fly? Then he will have to be destroyed. From caves and sewers come the slime people. The kill, 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 
There is no escape from the slime people. The slime people. Nothing can stop the horror of the slime people. For a new adventure in terror, live through the wild bloodbath of the slime people. With lust they come, with vengeance and murder. See the nightmare of the slime people. Live from the land of light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. Aiming for humanity's first exploration of Venus, the space rocket Otari is preparing for launch. Boarding, as an astronaut, is the rocket's inventor, Professor Mori, of the Space Exploration Research Center. Meanwhile, the science special search party stands by in case of trouble, and trouble there is, which sends the science patrol into space in the 16th episode of Ultraman. The Otari functions well until communications are interrupted by a sinister transmission. It's a Baltan alien who survived the invasion depicted in Episode 2, now vowing revenge against the SSSP and Ultraman in particular. Captain Muramatsu turns to Professor Iwamoto for help, who is able to retrofit the jet VTOL for spaceflight. The Captain, Hayata, and Arashi are soon on their way to rescue the Otari and Professor Mori, but unfortunately, the whole thing is a planned misdirection. With the human host of Ultraman somewhere near Venus, the Baltans launch a devastating attack on Earth, with a flustered E-Day the only line of defense. When Professor Mori, possessed by a Baltan, causes the space jet VTOL to crash, Ultraman must attempt to wage war in two places at once. Science Patrol Into Space is a dynamic, ambitious episode with almost too many high points to list. The return of Baltan is a welcome development as the alien race has a personal score to settle with Ultraman in the Science Patrol, and they've clearly put some thought into their revenge strategy. We witness at least two new powers of Ultraman, including his ability to teleport and the use of the Ultra Slash, a devastating ring-shaped energy weapon. Then there's the heroic story arc of Professor Iwamoto, played, as always, by Akihiko Hirata, whom we learn designed both the jet VTOL itself and a rival rocket to the Otari named the Phoenix. And these inventions together enable the SSSP to live to fight another day. Science Patrol Into Space signals the way this and future Ultraman series are going to weave popular characters back into the narrative and maybe most significantly, it's just a lot of fun, sustaining the suspense until the final seconds. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Mansky reporting. The Escalaptor Mark III replaces traditional automated cosmetic devices with the latest in servo-surgical designs. Its multiple surgical laser beams will restructure your face and body any way you like. MGM welcomes you to the 23rd century and the Saul David production of Logan's Run. 
rated PG parental guidance released by United Artists, Logan's Run. Imagine a whole new phase in less than an hour. There's just one catch. Centronics International presents a terrifying journey into the supernatural, narrated by the master of slithering evil, Rod Serling. Come now and explore the possibility of the impossible. It is tradition that ghosts and ghouls and various other citizens of the grotesque wrap themselves in malevolent mists and deep darkness. This is a terrifying encounter with the unknown. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, with Seb, I had some recording issues. For whatever reason, the program that I used to record my side of the conversation decided to record Seb's side of the conversation, even though I already had a piece of software recording Seb's side of the conversation. So you don't hear any of me at all during the opening. So I'm just not going to play any of it. And we're going to dive right into a round of the Classic Five with independent filmmaker, Seb Godang. The Classic Five. All right, so for listeners who don't know, The Classic Five is a game that we play here every week on the show. I've got a literal deck of cards here. Each one of these cards has a this or that. Which movie do you prefer style question on them? There are no wrong answers. It's not a trivia game. It's just a way to get monster kids talking. We're going to play five cards. Seb, are you ready to play a round of The Classic Five? I am ready. All right, so we've got a mix of old questions and new in this particular batch here. Here's a brand new question that'll be featured in the upcoming 70s expansion. And I assume it's 70s because 70s was kind of the golden age for this kind of cinema. What's your favorite made-for-TV horror movie? Oh, man. Ah. Uh, Do you know what? It's uh, Frankenstein the True Story. Ooh, okay. Good call. That's my favorite Frankenstein film, too, actually. Really? Hmm. Directed by... uh, Jack Smite, I believe, was his name, and uh, starring Leonard Whiting, James Mason, Jane Seymour, Michael Sarazen. It's a, a very unconventional Frankenstein adaptation, and it's just probably one of the most lavish, beautiful uh, TV films of the 70s, I think. I don't think there had been a TV movie that high-budgeted at that point. It is a lavish production. It's got a great look, and the cast is stellar. Don't let the title fool you. If you're not familiar with it, guys, uh, it's not faithful to the book at all, but it's <laughs> a very clever It's a very clever take on the story. You know, friend of the show, Sam Irvin, has been a champion of that movie for years. Uh, if you follow Sam on Facebook, you know about Frankenstein, the true story. <laughs> Bless him for making that release happen. Right? I love that Blu-ray. Oh, man. I... Mm. It's a great film. See, I, w- I would go something like Gargoyles or something, but Frankenstein, the true story, that's, mm, that one's solid. Let me tell you, right now I was struggling to not say The Night Stalker. I love The oh, Night Stalker, but Frankenstein just beats it out. I didn't even think about The Night Stalker stuff. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let, let's, uh, here's the creative process. Seb just said something that inspires the next question I'm going to put in the next expansion. Favorite Dan Curtis production, Night Stalker or Dark Shadows? Oh. <laughs> I'll have to think on that one. You know what? I think I'm going to have to say maybe like, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to just say uh, Night Stalker because I love the character of Carl Kolchak. I think he's one of the greatest heroes in horror. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to stick with that. 
See, I'm not even going to answer that one. So uh, <laughs> that's not fair. That's not fair. Uh, I love Dark Shadows and, you know, Penny Dreadful and Dominique and Steve and all those others. Forgive me for saying this because I know y'all love your Dark Shadows and I do too. But I just respond so well to an ordinary guy dealing with super ordinary stuff happening. That's my type of story. I love that stuff. So I'm, I'm right there with Seb, man. Nice talker. That's the stuff. Right on. All right. So we asked this uh, on the show, the, uh, I think last week, and it came up in one of the movie streams that we do as well. And I love the question so much. It was come up by Scott Morris. I'm going to ask you. So Frankenstein's got Frankenberry. Dracula's got Count Dracula. We got Boo Berry. If the creature from the Black Lagoon had a cereal, what would it taste like? Oh, uh, I'm going to say lime. Okay. I don't think there's been a lime cereal, but now, uh, now I think I want to try it. I wonder if citrusy cereal would be good. I'm trying to imagine that you, know, you mix your milk with your orange juice, and that just sounds terrible. But you put enough sugar on it. <laughs> exactly. Hey, listen. By the time you reach to the end of the bowl, it's just sugar at that point. True. So. All right. Next question. Favorite Planet of the Apes sequel? Ah, uh, you know, I go back and forth a lot. Because if you had, if one day if you ask me, I'll say beneath. But if I'm in a slightly, and I, I, I put slightly in italics there, because if I'm in a slightly less nihilistic mood, then I guess conquest. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, man, those are some bleak movies. Even the goofy one, like Escape, is really dark at the end. But I, I do not. I'll, I'll say Conquest. That's what I'll settle on for now. I really love that movie. Yeah, the uh, second film, uh, the ending of that. I oh man, dude, when it ended, when I was like eight years old watching it, I didn't know what to make of it. I'd never seen a movie end that way. Famously, here on the show, uh, I had never seen any of the movies until Scott Morris and I decided to make our way through them. He loved those movies, so he was kind of my guide to the Planet of the Apes series. And he kept the secret from me. I didn't know how Beneath the Planet... I didn't know how any of these movies ended. So I'm bopping along. Planet of the Apes, that's great. Oh, we get to go back to it. Beneath the Planet of the Apes, that sounds great. This is fun. I wonder what's going to... What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like right? that. I don't remember the exact ending of the words at the end, but uh, wow, what a gut punch. Brutal. Oh, man. See, for me, it's Escape, because I just love the music and the kind of whatever. But, you know, Beneath the Planet of the Apes is so... Oh, so good. Yeah, I don't think there's a weak link in there, honestly. Even like Battle, which isn't a great movie, is a lot of fun, mm -hmm. I think. I agree. I agree. Good stuff. All right. I'd like to say I have another new question here, but uh, I don't have any. Uh, let's see. Was something off the top of my head? Probably not. So, you know, we were talking about Godzilla earlier. Let's go to Godzilla. What's, what's a Godzilla foe that you'd like to see get his own TV series? His own TV series? Wow. Um, Oh, so, that's difficult because my favorite Godzilla villain is Gigan, but I don't know if he could sustain a show of his own. That being said, I think I'd love to see like a mech series about uh, Jet Jaguar. Oh, yes. A jet punch, punch, punch. Which we kind of got with the new anime, but uh, I I'd like a, just a plain old monster of the week jet jaguar show that would be I think. amazing i would love to see that jet i've made no secret i love me some jet jaguar love it he's awesome oh he's great he deserved so many more films hmm. good stuff well that's five questions that's the classic five you survived you win which means you get to stay on the show um oh thank god 
<laughs> Especially since I want to hear about this Dracula movie, man. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> Ask anything you'd like. What's it called? It's called The Damnation of Dracula. Just like every other film I've made, the title came long before there was ever a script. I'm kind of the same way when I'm when I'm writing something uh, with my short stories and all that. I'll come up with a, a title and I'm like, okay, now I got to figure out a way to to make it work. Yeah, exactly. My thought process is always, okay, I've got a title, I've got the monster. Oh God, there has to be a story now. You've made what the Frankenstein film, the Abominations of Frankenstein. Uh, you've got the other vampire film that you did beforehand. Uh, you, you've got Ouija mummy in, you know, in your back pocket here. You keep bringing in these classic monster types and kind of updating them a little bit. Why do you keep going back to that? Well, what's the draw for you? I'm sure just like, uh, most of the listeners on this show, I have a very strong connection with monsters in general, especially the, the classic monsters. I grew up on the universal films on hammer on 50s sci-fi and um, I think that well, what kind of fascinates me is the fact that I'm in my mid-20s now, but going to my late 20s, I'm going to start seeing a lot of these movies that I grew up with turn 100 years old, which boggles my mind. And these movies are still getting new releases and they're still relevant. The books are still being published. They're still taught in schools. What is it about them that like keeps them relevant? And I think that every time I do a movie about one of these characters, one of these monsters... Yeah what I'm really trying to do is it's almost like therapy for me. I'm trying to figure out bit by bit why this thing is still here. And I do that by crafting my own image of it, I guess. So you've tapped into werewolves with, well, kind of with like animator. Uh, you've got, you know, like said, the Ouija mummy, which was kind of a director for hire kind of thing for you, wasn't it? It was written by somebody else? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was director for hire, but that was one of those things where I came up with the title, which I thought would sell to a distributor, and <laughs> then somebody else wrote the script. And it did sell to a distributor. It did, immediately. We had the distributor locked before we uh, went to camera. Which is amazing. Uh, you've yeah. got you know the Frankenstein project. You actually got to play the monster himself, or the creature, I guess is what you called him in the film. Yeah, it, there was three reasons for that. One, I've always wanted to play the Frankenstein monster i Who think doesn't? that's a dream of almost every yeah i was gonna say it's a dream of every monster kid one of my, my favorite halloween costumes as a kid was the year i dressed up as the frankenstein's monster i used to use that picture as my main photo on facebook i, I love that costume and i would totally do frankenstein again yeah i've done him for halloween a couple of times and uh, the other reasons were it kept the budget low and i knew i would have to be there anyways so <laughs> Which is something we hear from a lot of independent filmmakers here on the show. It's like, why did you cast yourself as the lead? Because I know my own schedule. Okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> of, of the classic Frankenstein monsters, was there one you tried to model your performance around more? Yeah, uh, Christopher Lee in The Curse of Frankenstein. I was say, I got a lot of Lee off of it myself. Yeah, especially like the design with the blue skin and the damaged eye. That was all Curse of Frankenstein influenced. See, I'm going through your filmography some more here, and you know we got Blood Rights of the Vampire, uh, which you gave us permission to show on the Monster Kid Movie Club stream at one point, which went over really well. You've got the Frankenstein Project, which you just wrapped up, and now you're working on the Damnation of Dracula. And there's even listed on your IMDb, Jekyll versus Hyde. 
Uh, yeah, Jekyll versus Hyde. Man, I hope that comes out someday. So what that was was an experiment. I flew down to Florida, okay, and the idea was I would be paired with another director, somebody who hadn't uh, done a feature before. I would play Jekyll. He would direct my scenes. He would play Hyde. I'd direct his scenes. Okay. It was an interesting experiment done for no money at all. It's a very strange, very, very, very threadbare adaptation. Hopefully it gets finished soon. I know that the people who produced it wanted to do some reshoots to kind of tighten it up and fix some little plot errors that were made uh, along the way. I think that now that things are, I believe, clearing up over there uh, from the pandemic, they're going to try to finish it. So hopefully in the next year or two, that will be available in one form or another. Okay. Okay. And that's a project that you worked on with uh, Dustin Hubbard, right? Yeah, yeah, that was another one that he wrote. I came up with the title uh, because it seemed like a no-brainer to me. Like, oh, well, that's a good B-movie Jekyll and Hyde movie title. I'm surprised no one's done that yet. Yeah, so, I was going to say, I, I just, that's great. I don't know why anybody hasn't used it either. It's a fun movie. Um, I, I really like a lot of the stuff we shot. And it's a, a weird take on the story, too. Our Jekyll's not a doctor. He's a paraplegic man who gets experimented on, and that's what turns him into Hyde. Oh. It was a very strange, very dark little body horror version of the story which kind of leads into uh, something that i picked up in a lot of the movies of yours that i've seen especially when you're starting to uh, kind of reimagine i hate the word reimagining or whatever but for lack of a better term reimagining the classics you know blood rights of the vampire or the frankenstein film or, or any of them really and i'm sure it's going to happen in damnation of dracula as well you reference the classic, but you bring it up to date with some modern horror technique and, and storytelling in terms of the visuals, uh, the special makeup effects. How do you mm -hmm. balance modern horror sensibility with the classics for your films? Uh, you know, I kind of do it on a film by film basis. Sometimes I try my best to keep it up to date and other times I just don't. Sometimes I just embrace the, uh, the traditional abominations of frankenstein was a very odd film but i think that it's probably my most traditional classic monster movie in a lot of ways i guess the juggling act of it is not trying to emulate the movies i've seen but trying to look at it as what if the movies i've seen were made now how would they be constructed how would they look you know how would the characters behave so on and so forth that's my approach to it just what if a movie from anywhere between the 60s and the 70s was made now in the 2010s or 2020s? And listeners, for the record, when I say that Seb is bringing like modern horror sensibility, it's not you know filled with nudity and, and you know, gore for gore's sake. I mean, it's still something that monster kids are going to be able to enjoy, but it's, it's also something that people who aren't steeped in the classics like we are would enjoy as well. And I find that you walk that line very, very well. Even oh, thank you. That's... With, the, with the classic yeah and it's just something that i i really enjoy when it comes to your movies and plus something like blood rights of the vampire which is just so stylized and man if you look at the original vampire which is already stylized to begin with and then you bring it up to date with the and the approach that you took to shooting that as well is so different uh, from what i understand and i remember from our previous conversations when you've been on the show with how you've made your other movies yeah that one was uh well, we talked. We had a whole episode talking mm -hmm. about it. But I'll just for the listeners who don't remember or didn't hear that episode. Uh, basically, my idea with that was to take the 
sensibilities of a 70s art house vampire film like uh, you'd see in Jean Rollin's work or, um, you know, stuff like Lamora, which is my favorite vampire movie, and kind of apply that old German expressionist shine to it along with a modern day indie film aesthetic. So that one was a real juggling act. And I think it's the only time everything kind of gelled because I'm very proud of that movie. I think it's beautiful. It's gorgeous to look at. And the performances are great. Anthony D.P. Mann is just phenomenal to watch on screen anyway. Uh, he's got that voice, and to see him in there uh, was just fantastic. And then, you know, that, that happened, and then the Frankenstein film, and now you're, doing, you're back to Dracula, you're back to vampires. Tell us about The Damnation of Dracula. I had the title in mind already, uh, had for years. And when I was making The Abominations of Frankenstein, a gentleman by the name of Christopher Darton came down to uh, help do lighting. He's a documentary filmmaker by trade, so he had a great lighting kit that he was willing to help us out with. And while on set, at one point he just approached me and said, you know, I've made documentaries my entire career, but what I really want to do is produce a horror film. What do you want to do next? Because I want to produce whatever you're directing. And I said, well, I want to do this Dracula movie. And he just about had a heart attack because in his mind, Dracula meant castles and carriages and, uh, you know, big (laughs) village sets. (laughs) And I told him, look, I have a title. All you have to do is take the title and write what you want. Write what you want based on that title. And that's what we'll make. So he wrote the screenplay. And uh, when I got it, I was pretty shocked at first. It wasn't at all what I was expecting. Very, 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 very different from what I'm used to making. But it's it's ambitious and it's beautiful and it's got great characters. And I feel like uh, I don't want to sound pretentious. And I keep like iterating this. Guys, I'm not saying this just to say this. There has not been a Dracula movie like it. It was written by somebody who is not as much of a fan of the old films as I am. Okay. And because of that, it's got a whole new fresh angle on it. And I, I don't want you to tell us what happens. I, I don't want spoilers here. That's not what this is about. You'll Listeners, you'll have to wait for uh, the film to be done and available for that. But when I look at some of the material that's online, do you have any other returning uh, cast from previous projects? Allie Chapel, who played the blind woman in Frankenstein, she's playing Dracula. Okay. So that's our one returning cool. cast member. Uh, I, I'm in it as well. I play Renfield. So that's another and uh, that's about it. Other than that, it's all new fresh faces, some special appearances by some genre veterans. Really? Which, uh, again, I'm excited because this is the first time I've gotten to publicly speak about this. One of the big names, and this is the one part of the film that's actually already been wrapped. Uh, we recorded his stuff remotely. But we have Brett Halsey from Return of the Fly. He was the fly in the film, of course. Oh, wow. That's uh, great. Yeah, yeah, he's a voiceover role. He's kind of the one who leads us into the story, who calls into one of our characters to let them know that there's some uh, monstery bad stuff going on. That's amazing. No, it was amazing. Uh, this is his first film in uh, about six years. We recorded his stuff. I directed him through Facebook video call. It was his first time doing a Facebook video call. <laughs> and uh, it was awesome. We did his stuff. It took us about an hour. And after that, we sat there for an hour and he talked about working with Vincent Price, working with Lucio Fulci. It was uh, one of the most surreal experiences of my life. But yeah, Brett Halsey was uh, 
was someone we reached out to and he very graciously agreed to help us out. How amazing is that, man? That is so cool. Yeah, it was awesome. And I told him the title and I remember hearing his wife laugh in the background because she said it sounded like something that should have been made 40 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd take that as a compliment. I did take it as a compliment. Okay, that's kind of the point, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And you're playing Renfield. I am. A very different take on the character, a very different Renfield for a very different Dracula. I don't think there's uh, anything holding me back from telling some plot details if you'd like me to, I, well, just so there's contact. As much as you're comfortable with, because I again, I, I don't want to spoil it for any you know, anybody who wants to pick it up or not be spoiled, but and I, and I want to give you the opportunity to tell the story you know, through your chosen medium. But if you want to share anything, I'm not going to tell you no. I'll just say as much as what's available publicly on the uh, okay. Facebook page and the Indiegogo page. Our film takes place in a small Ontarian town that is dying. Everything is showing up dead. Animals are dying. The land is dying. People are disappearing. And a young girl turns to the host of a radio show about monsters and paranormal activity for help in combating the creature that is taking out the town, which is a ancient female monstrosity named Dracula. Your Dracula is a woman. Our Dracula is a woman, and uh, she's not your typical pretty female vamp either. She, If you're expecting some Ingrid Pitt type stuff in this movie, then you're going to be disappointed. Ours is uh, the most vile, monstrous version of Dracula I think we've had since... I don't know. I don't know the last time we had a really ugly Dracula. That was one of my rules for Chris Darton was uh, my two rules were it had to have that title and Dracula had to be a woman. Was it difficult for him, do you know, or or even for you to kind of wrap your head around that? Or was there a particular reason for that? It wasn't difficult for me. I love female monsters. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that there's a very limited array of cool ones, ones that aren't just pretty versions of the male counterpart. Mm -hmm. So I knew from the get-go that my Dracula would be a woman. I had seen Allie Chapel in a movie called Necropolis Legion, where she plays a vampire. And she's just got these amazing facial features. She's got these really like sharp, imperial-looking features on her face that just scream vampire to me. So I knew from the start that if I ever did Dracula, she would be my Dracula. And the other reason kind of that became the crux of our entire approach to the character was what is Dracula? You know, is Dracula just a guy with a Romanian accent and a cape? Is that all? Is he just a trope? Or can you strip that stuff away, find a real character there and build up something else and still have it to be recognizable? Huh, interesting. I'm looking up Allie Chapel right now, and yeah, she's got a heck of a look. And you worked with her before anyway, you said, so. Yep. Yeah, I could totally see her vamped out, or dragged out in this case, I guess. Yeah. And is that her on the poster as well? That Yeah, the teaser poster. Yeah, on the Facebook page, uh, which is facebook.com slash Damnation of Dracula. Now, this was an Indiegogo project, um, or, or it was mm-hmm. funded by Indiegogo, which doesn't technically have a deadline or anything like that, but you've already kind of got a date set for production, right? Yeah. Uh, we start rolling September 11th, 
and uh, we shoot on straight through September 25th, which is two whole weeks. That's the longest production I've ever had because normally my stuff is shot in about five to six days. I was going to say, unless it's Ouija Mummy, where it was shot in three days. <laughs> <laughs> I love Ouija Mummy, man. I really do. It's, it's very fun. It's so fun and just... <laughs> Just two words that just sound perfect together, even though you'd never imagine putting them together. Uh, the Indiegogo uh, project, it looks like you did close the campaign, but it uh, looks like you raised yeah, a decent amount of money to go ahead and move forward on the project. And knowing you, you know, being a micro-budget filmmaker for so many years, you make the movie one way or the other anyway. We also had some money set aside to kind of even the budget out. So oh, good. Uh, it's, it is my biggest budgeted movie. Oh. Uh, I think we're going to have about a 15 to $20,000 budget and I'm used to working with maybe two or 3000. So, wow. Yeah. For me, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Having followed your, well, I'll just say having followed your career or how do you kind of wrap your head around having a bigger budget like that to keep myself from panicking? I just keep telling myself it's another small movie. It's another small movie. It's another <laughs> small movie. <laughs> But on the inside, I'm actually screaming because, oh, this is big. This has like an actual crew. This has 16 speaking parts in it. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. I don't let myself get overwhelmed about it, but I do let the positive sides of it wash over me. Just to remind myself that for once, I'm not one of two people on it. You didn't have to cast yourself with lead because you knew your own schedule. Exactly. This time I only have like three or four scenes. It's such a relief. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's awesome. Uh, you know, I'm again, I'm still on your Facebook page and I'm still kind of trying to look for you know, more information and, and that sort of thing, because I, again, I don't want to spoil the movie or anything, but I do show here where somebody asked you what makes your Dracula so different. And you posted pictures from the original fly and then the, the remake of the fly. I think that that really is an apt way to describe not just your Dracula, but to go back to what we were talking about earlier, your approach to reviving the classic monsters. Yeah, I think uh, I think what Cronenberg did with the fly was amazing. And it's what you should do when, up, uh, you know, treading familiar water, mm -hmm. because he really kept the essence and the soul of that and the tragedy, especially of that story intact. But he souped it right up and made it its own beast. Uh, that's what you got to do, I think. As much as we as monster kids all love this stuff, it would be really difficult, I would think, to fight the temptation or fighting the temptation to just retread what we already love. And seeing you take that, but still, again, putting your own spin on everything in a different... God, I'm just coming up with terrible analogies here. It's a different coat of paint. Um, <laughs> you, you've come up with a way to update them without forgetting where they came from. I can't forget where they came from. They're like a part of my DNA. They're what I grew up with. I think that I am doing better by them by doing my own thing. Sure. And I think that's what all of us want as audience members or creators. We don't want just a beat by beat remake. You know, we want to put our own touch on it. We want to play in that playground. You know, we want to put our fingers in there and do something with it. And I feel like the classic monsters are so accessible to those of us who love them that we, we can't help but want to get in there and play with them. 
Yeah, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's going to be for everybody. I've made it very clear that my movies aren't for purists. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you grew up watching what I grew up watching and you got enjoyment out of anything I've made, then that's what I want. That makes me happy. And I hope that perpetuates the cycle, too. I hope it in- influences other people to try to do their own versions of them as well. I hope it never stops. You know, the snowball effect. I hope it just keeps going and going. That's the only way to keep them fresh and keep them relevant. Because yeah, if, exactly. if, if we're just remaking it over and over and over again, what's the point? Just watch the, you know, watch the DVD that you've got or the Blu-ray or, or stream it or whatever. Yeah, and that was like a, one of Chris Darton, when he was writing the script for Dracula, one of his basic, like... Uh, Mission statements, that's it. Okay. One of his basic mission statements wasn't to like adapt Stoker's novel, but to look at it from the point of view of, well, what if Stoker was a Canadian man living in the 2020s? What would Dracula be like? The characters wouldn't be middle to upper class British people. They'd be lower to middle class Canadian people. Uh, Van Helsing probably wouldn't be a professor. He'd have to be some crackpot conspiracy theorist, stuff like that. It's all about knowing what to take and what can be adapted and what's best left where it was. So that begs the question then, this is not another Dracula story. This is a a story that takes place in a world where this is the Dracula story. Yes, exactly. Um, There's not a moment in it where, uh, you know, someone's like, ah, Dracula, I read that book once. I know what to do here. No, everyone's approaching it like this is a whole new thing. And it's very frightening and it's very alien. As a director, one of my influences for that approach was uh, Hideki Anno's Shin Godzilla, mm. which was the first Godzilla movie Toho made that completely ignored the original one. And I thought that made the monster much more frightening. So I think that I told Chris at a certain point to avoid referencing anything from the past even the name Van Helsing is used, but it's not a character's name. I won't give away what its purpose is, but it's not what people are expecting. You tease. No. <laughs> <laughs> I have to. I, I said I didn't want any spoilers, so I totally get it. I totally get it. Well, that's interesting, too, because I feel like a lot of times with these movies, and, and you see it a lot like with zombie movies in particular, nobody knows what a zombie is in a zombie movie, despite the fact that they made they, they continue to make hundreds of them every year. It feels like. Okay. So so this is something where this is the Dracula story. Everybody's going in without really knowing what's up. That's, ooh. How do you even do that? Wow, now my brain is breaking trying to figure out how you do that out because I feel like Dracula is such a pop culture cornerstone for the kind of things that we're into. Yeah, and that was like the other difficult part is avoiding the tropes and the archetypes. This is where I'm going to lose a lot of people. Our Dracula doesn't have any of them. You know, she does not wear the cape. She is not a seducer. She is, she's a monster. <laughs> That's like the best way I can put it. <laughs> Listeners, trust Seb. I know he just said, I'm going to lose everybody here with this one, but trust him because his Frankenstein is unlike anything I've seen. His Blood Rights of the Vampires is unlike anything I've seen, and they're still good. So no seduction, no capes and castles, obviously. Wow. There is a Demeter, though. I'll say that much. Excellent. I feel like the Demeter doesn't get enough attention. Yeah, we found a hell of a location for it, too. So yeah? I'm very proud of that. Oh, yeah. Anybody who's familiar with the Niagara region here uh-huh. in Ontario will know about this derelict ship that is just on display 
on a lake around the Niagara region, and we're going to be shooting there. That's going to be our Demeter for a flashback sequence. That is the closest thing from a uh, uh, closest thing to a spoiler you'll get out of me. Yeah, and for listeners who haven't read the original novel, uh, which is one of the few places that actually turns up, you don't see the Demeter very often. The Demeter was the ship that uh, Dracula takes from his home to Carfax Abbey to London. Although in our case, it's uh, from Transylvania to Ontario, Canada. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you work with what you got, man. <laughs> exactly. Hey, this is the most Canadian film I've made. It's about Canadian people in a Canadian setting, and I'm very proud of that fact, too. What does that mean? It's about Canadian okay, people will, uh, in a Canadian setting. Like, what, what does that mean to non-Canadians? I'll, drop, yeah. I'll drop another plot detail. Uh-oh. Why not? I'll, I'm going to be fairly quick on this because I don't want the show to get too heavy here, but um, Chris Darton, who's producing and who wrote the script, he's Métis. He is a native. And Mm -hmm. uh, here in Ontario, there's been a big rash of disappearances and murders. And I just want to say that what he did with the script was it is a huge commentary on that fact. Okay. Gotcha. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and and we've seen like reports of this in the news and, and things that have been happening. Um, and I'm sure there's even more of it than what we're getting down here in the States in terms of like news and what's happening and what's been discovered or what's been coming to light and that sort of thing. So, wow. Um, well, that's incredible. Um, it's not too prevalent in the movie, but it's a little dash of commentary on that. And uh, I think it worked especially for Dracula as a villain because in my mind, Dracula was always representative of that old fear of the evil from across the sea that comes and taints the land. So I thought, why not? It works. And you know what? It's the right time to be making that kind of statement in a film. So here you are telling us it doesn't have any of the tropes or the standards with Dracula yet. Somehow you've managed to tap into this fear of the alien, which is part of the Dracula story. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's what I meant, though, when I said, can we strip away the tropes and find a core? And that core is exactly that. Dracula is the outsider, and it's the fear of what the outsider can do to us. That is what we tapped into, and that's what we use as the foundation for what became our character. All right, I'm in. (laughs) Hell yeah. I won one over. <laughs> Where can I buy it? When can I see it? We're hoping it'll do a good festival run because, man, we're doing everything we can to ramp up production value. There's so many effects in this film. The camera crew is... There's a camera crew, period, <laughs> which for me is insane. <laughs> so we're doing everything we can to make the slickest, most professional-looking movie that uh, our budget can allow. One of our goals right from the get-go was we're going to take... If we get 10 grand, we're going to make that 10 grand look like 20 grand. If we get 20 grand, we're going to make that look like 40 grand, so on and so forth. And we are now in the uh, the time for festivals to be picking back up again. So nice timing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's going to be nice to, you know, hopefully by the time it's wrapped and finishes post-production, which will probably be uh, hopefully before the end of the year, but probably realistically maybe beginning of next year but either way it'll be nice to be able to sit down in theaters again and see something i've made with an audience because that's one of the greatest pleasures and uh, one of the biggest pains sometime that a filmmaker can have how do you mean uh you know sometimes i'm very nitpicky with everything i make sometimes i'll sit there with an audience and i won't even be able to enjoy myself because i'm just like okay is this hitting right are people reacting properly 
It can be stressful. Is it too soon to start thinking about what comes after Damnation of Dracula? Oh, God, no. I'm insane, so I already know the next three things I'm making. The next three? Yes. All right, I gotta know. Okay. If you're um, able to share it. I'll say as much as I can. The next two, the next two of them are going to be smaller films again, because I think doing a bigger movie might kill me. So I'm doing another, uh, I, I won't give any plot details, but it's going to be a movie about uh, ghouls, like folkloric ghouls. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's going to be another, not experimental, not like blood rites, but it will be black and white because I love working with black and white. Sure. After that, I, I think I'm going to do another mummy movie, if I'm going to be honest with you. Well, you know, I'm not going to turn, uh, you know, mummies. <laughs> mummies are awesome. Yeah. What are you talking about? And then I won't say what the third one's going to be, but that's going to be an even bigger project than Dracula, which is why I want to do some smaller ones again beforehand, before I go full tilt mad. But I will, I'll give a hint. It's going to be a Lovecraft adaptation. Dude. Yeah. Oh, you're killing me here, man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the next like two to three years are going to be pretty insane. And uh, where do you find time to sleep and uh, eat and, and take care of yourself properly? How does that work? Oh, and work a day job. But as for where I find time to do everything else, yeah. With Dracula, it's a little easier because I'm just directing. I didn't have to write or do any of the producing work or the legwork. I'm just dealing with actors remotely right now. So I, you know, I'll work while I'm eating and watching stuff, and uh, I sleep whenever I pass out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you do it. I don't know how I do it either. And I'm not comparing myself to this man. I don't want anybody thinking I'm comparing myself. But Martin Scorsese once said that every time he makes a movie, there's at least one moment where he's terrified because he feels like he's going to be outed like a, as a fraud. And that's me every single day. Like, oh, boy, this better turn out good or people are going to catch on that. I have no clue what I'm doing. Uh, I don't think you have anything to worry about there, man. I, I It's easy to say and hear to, to get it, though. I, I, I feel that way about my podcast every time come on. <laughs> Ah, dude, I mean it when I say this is like my favorite podcast to come on. This is like the most fun I have on these things. See, and I wasn't looking for an attaboy or a pump me up, but I appreciate <laughs> it. Thank you. Um, I was going to say what I was getting at, though, is that as creatives, I think we have to have a thick skin and an ego to do what we do. But I think it's it's easiest uh, for us for us to kind of see the faults and flaws in ourselves before anybody else does. We're all, I guess it's a, a nice way of saying uh, our own worst critics, you know, and for what it's worth, Seb, you've got an audience, you've got a fan base and you've got the support of monster kid radio behind you. Well, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate it. You guys are the people I make these things for besides myself. I, I mainly make movies because I want to see them, but sure. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, if you don't mind, can yeah. I talk about the upcoming DVD release? That's of, where I was going to go. It's a double feature release, right? Yes. So Blood Rites of the Vampire, or Vampire rather, had a very limited Blu-ray run. I think only 50 copies were ever made, and they long sold out. It's available to rent on Vimeo. But guys like us, we like to own things. Right. We like to have movies on our shelves. So when Frankenstein was completed, it, it clocked in at 62 minutes, which is what I wanted. I wanted it to be like one of the later Universal movies where they were barely reaching an hour. And uh, I thought, well, it's short and Blood Rites is only like 65 minutes. So I came up with this idea where I would have Vicky Bittis, who played the vampire in Blood Rites and who plays the assistant in Frankenstein, do kind of these Crypt Keeper-esque wraparound intros for each film. 
So we're going to be releasing Blood Rites and The Abominations of Frankenstein as a double feature DVD with these wraparound segments that people will be able to buy. And that's in post-production right now, isn't it? Yeah, we finished shooting the uh, wraparounds last week. I just got a rough cut of them today. And uh, then we just need to slap them in with the movies and get the DVD artwork finished up. And then we're aiming to have it available by the beginning of September. That's great. And where will you be selling it? My uh, good friend of mine is helping me set up a web store for it. So I'll be posting links on Instagram, on Facebook, wherever you can find me. Now, is she playing one of the characters from one of the movies or is she doing something completely different as the host? She's kind of just doing her own thing. Uh, For the Blood Rites intro, we had her in the vampire makeup and in the costume. And then for the Frankenstein intro, we put her in a lab coat and gave her uh, some stitched up makeup. (laughs) Right on. Okay. All right. And of course, the Blood Rites one starts with her reading Carmilla, and the Frankenstein one starts with her reading Frankenstein. Oh, well, there you go. You got to give props to the original, you know, the source, right? The inspiration. Exactly. Even if I perverted them horribly. <laughs> Even if that's as far <laughs> as it goes, so they at least get me. No, I'm just. <laughs> you know, hey, Mary Shelley is in Abominations of Frankenstein. What more can people want from me? <laughs> I, granted, I made her a murderous ghost, but. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, I. <laughs> I don't know where to go from that. Oh, well. <laughs> there, there's the poll quote for Damnation of Dracula. Well, I it's another sub-Godain movie. Oh, well. Oh, well. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I feel like, you know, you can kind of tell when I've made a movie, like, just by watching it. I'd like to think you can tell, at least. But at the same time, I also feel like I don't feel like I've repeated myself yet, so I'm going to start doing that soon. I think I, I think I'm earning the right to be lazy. Well, we don't want you to burn out before your 30s, so yeah, take take a day or two. That's fine. Yeah, <laughs> we want as many movies from you as possible. Is what I'm getting. I'm, I'm I'm being selfish. You know, I want to make as many movies as I can without sacrificing the standards of quality that I set myself to. So we've got the double feature coming out later this year. You're going to dive into Damnation of Dracula. You've got at least three other projects coming up. Best place to find you online, your Facebook page. Where should people go? You can find me on Facebook. You know, if you're a friend of Derek's, I'll probably accept your request. You can see my ramblings. It's mostly just uh, talking about tokusatsu and monster movies. Um, uh, <laughs> if you want to see poster art, behind the scenes pictures as they come out, or even just um, whatever I happen to be reading at the time, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Sebastian Godin Films. And, you know, each of my individual movies also has a Facebook page. So uh, Damnation of Dracula on Facebook, Abominations of Frankenstein on Facebook. Uh, those are the two most uh, relevant ones at the moment. And of course, as always, there will be links in the show notes. You just said a word, though, that I want to get back to real quick before we wrap up. When do you make a tokusatsu film? <sighs> when they give me the money. <laughs> my, my, my very good friend, Dustin Mills, who I co-wrote the upcoming Puppet Monster Massacre with, which is a family film that we've been working on for several years. Did you just do air um, quotes with the family? Is that Did I just hear that? 
in the ether the uh, it, family film it's a family film and it's as much a family film as the monster squad is that was our big ah uh, okay 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 so it's got some dark stuff and the monsters are scary but uh, it's got a very light-hearted tone okay uh, and they're all hand puppets right on but uh, my good friend dustin mills and i he's my tokusatsu buddy I, I feel like every other day we message each other with like man I just had this great idea for a movie about an interdimensional dinosaur that fights a science team. And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. Do we have the money for that? And then we just stop talking about it. I want somebody to text me with messages like that on the regular. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll make sure to, I'll make sure to share start sharing them with you as well. Then. <laughs> Put me in that text mail chain. I want to, I want to hear about your interdimensional dinosaurs. That's awesome. Yeah. Before we started recording here, uh, folks, Seb was telling me about a, a TV series that he discovered, a uh, Garo, that yeah, Garo, Garo, excuse me, that I need to track down and see. And every time I have you on the show and we talk about one of the movies that you're making or something else, Tokusatsu stuff comes up, but we never talk about you know a Godzilla movie or Toho or anything like that. Maybe the next time we have you on, we'll talk about something uh, Tokusatsu related. I would love to. You know, I'm I'm obsessive about it, so I could talk about it for hours, honestly. And there's a lot of good uh, old school toku movies from like the 50s through the 70s that mm-hmm. I don't think you've covered yet. My relationship with kaiju and tokusatsu is limited compared to my relationship with Universal and Hammer and all the others. And, and I've talked about this on the show. I just didn't grow up with them. It wasn't mm-hmm. something that I had a lot of access to. And... Not that it was discouraged. It just, you know, my family wasn't really a big monster family anyway. And it just wasn't something that was on my radar. I knew what Godzilla was because I thought Godzilla versus Bambi was hilarious. You know, that that's the extent <laughs> of my, my youth. It is hilarious. You know, that's, that's about the extent of my experience with the Kaiju as a kid. It wasn't until a few years, several years ago now at this point where I jumped in both feet and i am a diehard ultraman fan love me some godzilla love some gamera okay i love me all godzilla i love me all gamera <laughs> i love that stuff so much so uh because of my relationship with toho and or excuse me with kaiju and tokusatsu not being as deep it doesn't get represented as much here on the show plus there are other podcasts out there that do it so much better or have done it so much better than me but I want to talk about that stuff, too. So tell you what, you and I will talk off mic and you know, we'll talk Facebook Messenger or whatever uh, about giant interdimensional dinosaurs, as well as maybe a tokusatsu subject to talk about here on the show. I love the sound of that. But I do want to hear about this interdimensional dinosaur, too. I feel like I've just like, yeah, that was it. Like, <laughs> what if, you know? <laughs> oh, well. Huge thanks to Mark and huge thanks to Seb for being part of the show this week. And huge thanks to Ole for actually sending in that email at the top of the show as well. And most importantly, thank you to you for listening and being part of the Monster Kid Radio audience. Thanks for resharing and tweeting posts and cross-posting and letting people know on MySpace and sending up smoke signals or just however it is you share the news about Monster Kid Radio, just know that I really appreciate it. I mentioned at the top of the show that we've got a website, monsterkidradio.net. That's got everything that you need to know about what we do here on the show. Links to everything that we've talked about. You want to follow up with Seb? There's links to do that. You want to follow up with Mark? There's links to do that. Everything you need is right here, including a note about what's coming up on next week's episode of Monster Kid Radio. We've got Micah Harris 
coming back to the show. And we're going to be talking about the movie Dr. X. All right. I'll agree to lay off for 48 hours. But I give you my word, if you don't succeed, I'll come in here, seal every door, place everybody under technical arrest, take fingerprints, conduct a rigid inspection. I don't care if the whole world knows it. There have been six murders committed all in the same circumstances. The evidence points here. If you only knew the things that have happened. Are you worried about your father? Yes, I am. Terribly. Oh, the only thing I'm concerned about is your safety. Say, what's the matter with you? What's the matter with me? Nothing at all. Only all last night I lay down with a bunch of stiffs. Look, a lot of goofy guys, let a dame poke a gun in my stomach, and then I take a trick cigar from a dumb policeman. It is my theory that one of us in the past, from dire necessity, was driven to cannibalism. The memory of that act was hammered like a nail to the mind of that man. Shrewd and brilliant. He could conceal his madness from the human eye, even from himself. But he can't conceal it from the eyes of the radio sensitivity. On Saturday, you can join us over on Twitch, where we show nothing but monster movies. Twitch.tv slash MonsterKidRadio or MonsterKidMovie.club. And this weekend, starting at 11 a.m. Pacific with the pre-show, noon for the movies themselves, it's Werewolf Day. We're going to be showing some werewolf movies. I've got an independent animated short film coming up. I've got some classics, some movies that we've shown in the past. We've got just a lot of wooly fun happening. Wooly fun? Wool? That's not right. Wolfie. We're going to have some wolf-like fun. You know what? Just come to the stream and join us. Come for the entire run or just come for one or two movies. There will even be a way for you to enter a contest to win your very own werewolf courtesy of Stuffed with Character. So you don't want to miss that. And then on Tuesday at the same place online over on Twitch, 3.30 p.m. Pacific for the pre-show, 4 o'clock p.m. for the regular movies, we're going to be watching some classic film Serials. And then around eight o'clock that night, we also talk about an episode of Star Trek. So you don't want to miss that either. There's just a lot out there for you to enjoy when it comes to Monster Kid Radio. And that's where I want to get serious here for a moment, ladies and gentlemen. The podcast is not just a place for me to talk about monster movies. I feel like that I have a real friendship with a lot of you that because of podcasting, I've made some incredible relationships with some incredible people around the world. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. So many of you guys and gals, I consider friends, all of you, I consider friends and I appreciate y'all having my back when I'm going through personal things. And I've shared some personal things here on the show in the past. And I've always received support from you guys and gals whenever I do. So I want to come to you again with some personal stuff. So putting the monster kit aside, which is really hard to do because it's a big part of who I am, but putting the monster kit aside, putting the podcaster aside, I'm just Derek and just Derek is going through some times right now. I've talked about this in the past on the show and I've mentioned it a few times over the past. It feels like a year and a half at this point. Brenda and I are no longer together. We are separated and the divorce papers are being filed and it's time to move forward. I've not moved forward as quickly as I need to when it comes to uh, what I'm going to do next. 
it's time to do that. Which means I need to start making some changes. I need to start downsizing. I need to figure out where I'm going to move. And I need to start bringing in some more income. No, this is not me asking you to sign up for Patreon. Yes, we have a Patreon, and I am very grateful to all the patrons who have supported Monster Kid Radio, whether it's been for a month or for years. If you've been a patron of Monster Kid Radio, thank you so much for helping us out there. Without you guys and gals helping us out over on Patreon, well, Monster Kid Radio would be a losing effort. I'd be in the red all the time. You all who support Monster Kid Radio, either directly through Patreon or by sharing posts about Patreon or the podcast, have made it so that the podcast pays for itself, with the exception of my time. And I think I have to start looking at that. I hope this doesn't turn people off. I'm not looking to get paid to do a podcast. I don't think there's enough money in podcasting to make this a career. I know that, and I don't have any delusions about that. I've been recording the amount of time that I spend on every episode of the podcast and not counting the actual recording time. So this would not count the amount of time that I spent chatting with Penny Dreadful on last week's episode. But the amount of time that I actually spent working on the podcast itself was easily six hours. Add to that the show notes, the graphics, and the actual recording time. We're looking at anywhere from eight to ten hours a week spent on the podcast. In the grand scheme of things, that's not a lot. I know. But I still have to take that into consideration as I move forward in trying to figure out how I'm going to supplement my income. I am actively looking for gigs. I'm actively looking for work, doing sound, working on sound editing, editing other people's podcasts, doing sound design, sound effects editing, anything like that. Unfortunately, with what happened last year, a lot of those projects and things didn't happen. Short films weren't happening. Indie films weren't happening, which means there wasn't a lot of call for you know, sound effects artists or Foley artists or anything like that. And I get that. But as we move forward, it looks like I'm going to have to get a quote-unquote real job to help supplement everything. Now, what does that mean for Monster Kid Radio? This is why I bring this up ultimately. Rent is not cheap. Anywhere in the country, but specifically where I live, rent is not cheap. So I'm going to have to bring in some money. So that means if I can't find enough gigs, if I can't find enough work for higher jobs... I'm going to have to start working a regular job, whether that's a part-time or a full-time job, I don't know. And yes, I have produced Monster Kid Radio in the past while working a full-time job that had mandatory overtime every week. I wasn't running the streams at that point. And I've mentioned this on the streams in the past, and I just want to make it clear here. If I am unable to keep up the amount of work that I typically do on Monster Kid Radio because I'm working a quote-unquote real job, you might see some things go on hiatus or maybe even permanently leave what we do here. In terms of priority, the Tuesday night stream would be the first thing to go if I had to drop anything. Then the movie stream on Saturday. And then the podcast itself. I hope it's obvious and it should not come as any surprise to anyone that I really don't want to drop anything that I'd much rather be making enough money through various gigs, doing things in the fields in which I feel like I'm actually good at and have a passion for. I don't know where I was going with this. I just, 
want people to know what's going on with me. I want to share with you guys and gals. Like I said, I consider you all my friends. We've tried selling advertising for the podcast in the past, and I'll still consider doing that moving forward. And of course, we have the contests and the drawings that we do on the movie streams. But again, it's not enough to keep me from having to get that quote-unquote real job. On top of that, I've got various health issues, so I have to have health insurance as well. And that's just a whole thing, too. And I'm not even going to talk about the amount of debt that I'm carrying right now on various credit cards and that sort of thing. Just, oh, you think the monster movies are scary. I'm just saying. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that up and let people know what's going on behind the monster curtain. Let you guys and gals know what I'm going through and what I'm dealing with and how it might impact things moving forward in the future. Okay. Speaking of the future, like I said earlier, we're going to be talking about the movie Dr. X next week. So do not change that dial. Please come back next week to hear us talk about that movie. It's a fascinating film. There's some really cool stuff with it that I cannot wait to get into with Micah. And I cannot wait until next week's episode. Until then, though, remember, Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on commercial no derivatives 3.0 unported license. Of course, that does not apply to the song Spook Hill Seance. That is copyright 2021 Black Valley Moon. You can find it at blackvalleytampa.bandcamp.com or follow the links in the show notes. Just let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao.